When you don't draw iron. Simmons, an open three. Air ball. They just don't have any touch. This is Broken Jumper, a weekly NBA podcast hosted by the voice of AM570 LA Sports, Bob Schmidt. Me, Bob Schmidt. What a narcissistic buffoon he is. Like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. And now, is this basketball? Broken Jumper. Welcome to Broken Jumper, a weekly NBA podcast hosted by me, Bob Schmidt, the voice of AM570 LA Sports. This is where I talk all things basketball, and what better day to tape this podcast than a day after we saw the Phoenix Suns and the Golden State Warriors face off the two best teams in basketball, vying for supremacy in the Western Conference, and a game that ended with the Phoenix Suns coming out on top of the Golden State Warriors to extend their winning streak to 17 games in a row. And they did it with Devin Booker going down to a hamstring issue, which by all accounts looks like it will keep him out several games. So they're going to be doing it in unconventional ways, at least on the offensive end. Bridges will have to up his contributions. Crowder will have to up his contributions. And who knows, maybe the broken jumper fantasy squad will benefit from a little bit more DeAndre Ayton, the only person on the Suns who I really am tethered to emotionally. Jake Crowder winning is always a negative in this world, but I got to give him credit. He was good in the fourth quarter. Chris Paul was excellent in the fourth quarter of last night's game as they more or less pulled away, even without Devin Booker in the lineup, behind mid-range after mid-range pull-up from Chris Paul in that fourth quarter. A very impressive showing from Phoenix, but one that was on their home court. So that may not be something that holds when they have to go up to San Francisco and take on the Warriors there. The other thing to note is that Steph Curry was just absolutely brutal in this one. Only scored one point in that fourth quarter, a decisive fourth quarter, and on the game went just 4 for 21 from the floor, shot a miserable 3 for 14 from 3, and despite 28 points from Jordan Poole, a very efficient night from him, some excellent basketball from Otto Porter Jr., a great second half from Gary Payton, the second. Juan Toscano-Anderson was terrible. The choices he made with the ball led to five turnovers. Five turnovers in 12 minutes is unacceptable for a guy who's not even a primary ball handler. A night where Steph Curry shoots that high of a volume, that inefficiently, those are going to be hard games to win, Devin Booker or no Devin Booker. But in that fourth quarter, Chris Paul at least gave us a preview of what we can expect. They have a lot of options. And even without Devin Booker, Aiton led the way in the fourth quarter. Crowder hit some big buckets. Chris Paul was fantastic. Kept finding his way to those mid-range pull-up jumpers, and he was hitting them when it mattered. Now, a virtual tie atop the Western Conference standings. The Warriors only look to get better as Klay Thompson has been with the G League affiliate and he is already working his way back into the lineup, probably by the end of this calendar year or early January. He'll be getting up to full speed, and at that point, a backcourt with offensive options from Curry to Poole to Klay Thompson and even Otto Porter Jr. chipping in very high percentages. He's shooting nearly 48% from the field, 43% from three. I look at that signing, and I am jealous. As a Cavs fan, you look at a guy like that who basically got pulled off the scrap heap just because he was massively overpaid from his extension with the Washington Wizards. I feel like people forgot 
that when you're not relying on him as a primary offensive creator, he can raise the floor considerably for everybody else around him. So I'm excited to see how it shakes out by the end of the season. But as of now, those two teams have a lot of breathing room behind them. Because after the Suns and the Warriors, the Jazz are four games back as of the time of me doing this podcast. The Mavericks got absolutely dominated by the Cleveland Cavaliers on Monday. And they were basically full strength. They had Brunson, they had Porzingis, they had Doncic, they had Tim Hardaway Jr., and they looked very fallible. I watched that Mavericks team, and and mind you, I'm overreacting because the last game I saw them play in a couple days ago, they got the doors blown off of them. But I can't help but look at what's happening with Luka and think that there's some parallels to be drawn with LeBron James. And not just because Doncic is a... Stat stuffing, you know, box score filling, dynamic, doing things at his age that we just haven't seen before. But beyond that, in coming to the Mavericks, they had to trade a first round pick the following year in addition to the pick that ended up being Trey Young to the Hawks in order to draft him. And unfortunately, Luka was so good so quickly that the Mavericks are now in a situation where they're consistently amongst the playoff teams in the West but they have no way of adding cost-controlled talent around him. Porzingis is on a max deal. He's making a ton of money. They just had to pay Tim Hardaway Jr. a pretty sizable amount of money. Four years, $75 million for a guy who's already almost 30 years old. So Luke is in this situation where they pushed all their chips into the middle of the table to get Porzingis as the main complimentary player. And you can find guys like Hardaway around the league. I'm not saying he's bad. At his money, that's okay. A guy who hovers around $20 million a year for an effective wing shooter is good. But certainly this season, what we've seen out of Tim Hardaway Jr. is a regression, if anything. Last year in the playoffs, Hardaway was hitting 40% of his three-pointers, and he scored nearly 17 points a game in that seven-game series against the Clippers. So certainly a good time to do it, being that he was coming up on a payday, and there were times... During that playoff run last year where he looked far more important than Porzingis to their success in those individual games. Now, long term, of course, I I don't believe that to be the case. But so far this season, he's shooting less than 40% from the field. He's shooting low 30% from three. Now, this is a guy who the last several years has consistently been more of a 45 and 40 guy and chipping in north of 15 points a game. Slow start as of now. He's never been this bad since joining the Mavericks, as he has been in this early part of the 2021 season. And you have to hope he shakes out of that, because it's not unusual for a guy who scores 15 points a game and shoots 40% from three to make upwards of $20 million a year. We saw it in Fournier, we saw it with Gary Trent Jr., we saw it with Norman Powell. But the last thing you want to see is those guys to get paid handsomely on multi-year, four- or five-year deals, and then immediately fall off a cliff. Now, Davis Bertans is the poster boy for that. Came in with the Wizards, had a great first season where he shot nearly 43% from three. This season, a woeful 22% from three-point range and playing only 15 minutes a game. Now, I'm not putting Hardaway in this class because he's more of an overall scorer. We're seeing similar things happen in other places where they've rewarded shooters. I mean, in Brooklyn, you have Joe Harris, who's now injured. Patty Mills has done much of what he's done in terms of shooting but at a much cheaper rate. You have Duncan Robinson, who just signed for $90 million this past offseason, and he's seen his three-point field goal percentage 
the last three seasons go from 45% to 41% to in 20 games this year, shooting 33% from three, which is certainly not what the Heat signed up for. Now, I don't want to speak in absolutes because certainly they've had some success with some second round picks. Shake Milton was one of their picks. Jalen Brunson, who's played very well for them this season, playing his best basketball, he was a second-round pick the year they took Luka. But they haven't had another first-round pick since then, except for Josh Green, who they took 18th in the 2020 draft. The 2021 draft, they did not have a pick because of the aforementioned Chris Stapps-Porzingis deal. So those situations kind of put them behind the eight ball when it comes to draft capital. And draft capital isn't just used, of course, to draft players, but also to acquire players. So it's harder to do that when you're a good team because your picks just aren't as valuable. The times when you can afford to flip high picks and they have a lot of value to put around a guy like Luka is while he's still in those formative stages where wins aren't coming with his immense talent. But they won pretty quickly. 33 games is the type of leap that we saw the LeBron Cavs make when they jumped from an 18-win season the year that they drafted him immediately to the low 30s, and then 500 basketball and then playoffs after that. There are a lot of very similar parallels playing out here. You've got a, well, four- to seven-year window to make your impact with Doncic before he has to make some hard decisions about where to go when he has true, unrestricted free agency freedom. So I watch a team struggle like that, and I see Twitter react or... Reddit react and say, oh, he needs to demand a trade. They're not able to build a winner around him. And it reminds me of how it felt watching LeBron in his first iteration of the Cavs teams where they did everything that they could. People like to make the argument that they didn't try to put people around LeBron, but that was never accurate then, and it's not the case now. And it's certainly never a criticism that people have made of Cuban. Cuban wants to build a winner, and he always has. But not everybody is going to give you all-star, second-star level talent for damaged goods like Porzingis appears to be on the size of contract that he's on. It's the same situation with Simmons. Simmons is a great player, but he's unreliable in the playoffs, or at least that's how he's been so far in his career, and he makes a ton of money. That is not a position where you have a lot of leverage when you want to move him. You're going to have to take back a player with some warts of his own, and that's the situation the Mavericks are in, even if they wanted to move Porzingis. But the point is, it feels like a lot of the moves aren't significant enough to change the fortunes of the team. You can win on the fringes. You can get some buyout people that you bring in, or you can get some jump on guys who say, I want to play with Luka and I'll take less money to be here. But they're not substantially going to impact the fortunes of your team in a Western conference that is absolutely loaded. I mean, I shouldn't even just say Western conference. League-wide, the rosters are getting better and better. And Luka is amazing. Watching that series against the Clippers last year makes you realize that he's a generational talent. But the fact that he can go 7 for 11 from 3 against the Cavs the other night and still be trailing by over 20 points at the end of the third quarter is asinine. He has to get more consistent help than that. And maybe it's just a horrible matchup because the big men of the Cavs all dominated. It's a perfect storm. You don't normally get Garland and all the big men and Okoro, the entire starting lineup, not to mention Kevin Love, they all shot over 50% from the floor. It was one of their most efficient games. They shot over 50% from three on the game. They shot 56% from the floor. So certainly, the Cavs aren't going to do that every night, and neither is the opponents for the Dallas Mavericks. I guess my point 
is that the Mavericks have a lot to work on, and they don't have a lot of ways to do it. So it's going to take some absolutely superhuman efforts from Luka to turn them into anything more than a first-round exit at best. And let me be clear, I hope that that happens for the Mavericks. The same way I felt with Giannis with the Bucks. The best thing, in my view, for the league is what is kind of happening right now where we're seeing a ton of talent and it's dispersed over several different teams. And yeah, there are some bottom-of-the-cellar-dweller garbage teams, but there's a lot of very quality, very deep teams spread throughout both conferences now. And on a night-to-night basis, there's just matchups that I look forward to seeing, even if they're not the Warriors and the Suns. Now, speaking to that, there was another game from last night that some news headlines came from in the aftermath, and that was the Brooklyn Nets versus the New York Knicks. Just the fact that two teams from New York squared off meant it was going to be a game that captured a lot of attention, but the end of the game specifically was what caught my attention. Now, the Knicks played very well. I was looking forward to seeing the game because just recently, Thibodeau has removed Kemba Walker from the rotation, and he's committed to Alec Burks, not traditionally known as a point guard, playing point guard for the New York Knicks. Now, he's certainly a competent ball handler. He's not some pick-and-roll maestro, but they have Derrick Rose. They have Quickly. It's not as if they don't have guards they can throw out there. Seemingly, though, they have committed to defense over offense, and I say that with take it with a grain of salt because I saw a stat the other day. I'm going to pull this up. It's pretty amazing. Fred Katz, who covers the Knicks for the Athletic, tweeted the following. The Knicks have the best defense in the league when Kemba Walker is on the bench, a 99 defensive rating, and are dead last in defensive rating when he's on the floor. So that, of course, supports the notion that Alec Burks is your starting point guard, would lead to better defense. You would almost have to. And everybody's known that Kemba is not a defensive stopper, well, forever. But here's the part that I found even more shocking. With Kemba Walker on the floor, the Knicks were 27th in offense. With him off the floor, 9th. So they get better on both ends of the floor, just taking him out of the situation altogether. And Rose has been a very productive player for the Knicks. Burks has ripped off two excellent games, stepping in his starter 23 points last Saturday in a victory, and then even though they lost this game to the Nets, he chipped in with 25-5-5, hit four three-pointers, including two massive ones. I mean, he led the Knicks in fourth-quarter scoring, scored eight points of his 25 in the fourth quarter, so they certainly didn't lose because of him, which leads us to why they probably lost, which is that Julius Randle can't control his temper. The waning portion of that game, Randall is going back and forth with Durant. Durant had an excellent fourth quarter, scored 11 points. And Randall goes into the paint, bangs into James Harden, ends up kicking the ball out because Harden holds his ground. He is a stout defender. He's not a great defender, but he's thick. He's fat for a guard. You can't just push him out of the way. And he's always been pretty solid in terms of preventing bigger guys from being able to post him up. Randall tried to drop his shoulder into him, ended up having to pass out of the situation. Burks hit the three-pointer, but that wasn't enough to satisfy Randall, who got in the ref's ear the whole way down the court, ended up a full possession later after Kevin Durant pulled up and hit a jump shot on him to take a two-point lead, punched his fist through the air towards the ref, screamed at him, got a technical at a terrible time to get a technical. And of course, the Nets ended up winning that game. Just an inexcusable play from Julius Randle, 
who I, I think is a good basketball player, but has some serious issues when it comes to controlling his emotions. Because just a week ago, in the fourth quarter, he's on the bench with a four-point or six-point lead against the Lakers. Forgive me for not remembering the specifics, but they're up like 90 to 86 or 90 to 84. And he gets a technical for shouting at the refs from the bench. They held on to win that game, but a horrible time to get a penalty like that when the game is in the balance. Last year, he got nothing but roses because he played excellent. He finished top 10 in the NBA in value over replacement player last year. In the playoffs, that didn't sustain. The Hawks effectively shut him down and shut the Knicks down. They've still been good. They're playing 500 basketball. Burks, as the starter, will be an interesting experiment to watch to see. Does this make them an overall better team? And will they produce better results and start to climb back into the top half of the Eastern Conference? Because as it sits now, they're hovering in that 6, 7, 8 spot. There are a lot of quality teams in the Eastern Conference. And right now, they're neck and neck with the Sixers and the Hawks and the Hornets and the Cavs. All those teams, it would not shock me to see any one of those teams, you know, stay in the sixth spot. I think they're all roughly the same caliber teams at this point. Now, the Sixers have the potential to get much better, depending on what plays out with that Simmons situation. And the Hawks, they started incredibly slow. They've won seven of their last 10. So they could pick up some momentum, but they've suffered some injuries of their own. The Cavs finally healthy, sort of rolling right now. And the Knicks not doing great in their last 10. But with these changes to the lineup, if those advanced statistics are correct, we can expect to see better defense and perhaps better offense from them in the coming weeks. Now, just to touch on the remainder of the playoff picture in the West for some of those fringe teams between 6 and 10, it is quite the clump of teams playing close to 500 ball. You have the Grizzlies without Morant. You have the Lakers who played without LeBron again. You have the Trailblazers who will be without Damian Lillard. You have the Denver Nuggets who lost Michael Porter Jr. for the remainder of the season. And you have the surging Timberwolves. So a lot of teams suffering from injuries. Even the Clippers, they gave Paul George a rest day today. But certainly, the Timberwolves are starting to get some chemistry going between Carl Anthony Towns and Russell and Anthony Edwards, whereas the Nuggets seem to be on a bit of a freefall. They gave up a game today against the Orlando Magic that's one of those inexcusable losses. They went into halftime, they had a 16-point lead, and they somehow managed to lose the game behind a huge second half from a couple of guys. You had Cole Anthony... For the first time in seven games. So you would expect that he'd come out rusty. But in the second half alone, he scored 16 points with seven rebounds. And he shot 60% from the floor. And behind him and Wendell Carter Jr., the Magic took the lead. And Jokic was terrible in the second half. Shot just two of 11 from the floor and missed all four of his three-point looks. And that was all she wrote for the Nuggets. So their margin for error is tiny. Outside of Monty Morris. Now, Monty Morris was good. Nothing that Jokic did could slow down Wendell Carter Jr., who scored 16 points on 7 of 8 from the floor in the second half. So we're still clumped as far as the Western Conference standings go. But one area I wanted to touch on that really has just separated even further over the course of the last week is the Rookie of the Year race. This is a two-man race. Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes. That's it. There's really no right answer it doesn't end with one of those two men. Jalen Green went down with an injury, and the Houston Rockets have ripped off four victories in a row, and all the players on the floor that aren't Jalen Green have looked better. Kevin Porter Jr., 
Christian Wood, who went down tonight with a, well, he rolled his ankle. Hopefully it won't be a long-term injury. But prior to that, he was playing some of the best basketball of his entire tenure with the Rockets. So certainly not something that reflects favorably on either Jalen Green, the fact that this team has managed to play winning basketball without him in the lineup, but also doesn't really reflect that favorably upon the front office. This was a franchise decision to shell John Wall and prioritize these two young guards. And somewhere along the way, during their 15 or 16 game losing streak to start the season here, where they were 1-16, and it became apparent that Christian Wood got lost in the shuffle. He wasn't being featured. He was shooting terribly. He was playing terribly. And then during this four-game run without Jalen Green, all of a sudden, Christian Wood has woke up from the dead. And he looks back to the dominant showings that we saw with him last year at times when Christian Wood would be the primary focal point of the offense after James Harden got traded. So perhaps this is them turning things in the right direction, growing as a unit. But certainly, on the other side of things, look at what happened with Evan Mobley and the Cleveland Cavaliers during his absence. Evan Mobley got hurt in the second game against the Boston Celtics, a back-to-back set against the Celtics, and he went down with an elbow injury in the middle of that game. was playing badly in that game, by the way. But they lost that game, and then he missed four games after that. The Cavaliers lost every single one of those games. For context, it is important to point out they were playing awesome teams. The Nets, the Warriors, the Suns, the Nets. But since Evan Mobley has returned, the Cleveland Cavaliers have won three games in a row. Now tonight, Evan Mobley was just tremendous. In the third quarter alone, he pitched a perfect quarter. 15 points, four rebounds, did not miss. Went five for five from the floor, two for two from three. Didn't have a single turnover, en route to a 17-point, 11-rebound, 4-block, 4-assist performance in dominating the Miami Heat. You see that stat line and you think, how could he not be the Rookie of the Year? But there's another rookie who's performing equally as well, maybe to a little bit less acclaim because his team isn't playing nearly as well as the Cleveland Cavaliers. And that is Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes, over his last three games, he's averaging 20 points, 7 rebounds, and nearly 4 assists. He had four blocks and two steals his last game. Shoots 50% from the floor over that stretch, nearly 45% from three over that stretch. So he's heating up, despite the fact it's come with three losses. Counting stats-wise, advanced stats-wise, he's not worse than Evan Mobley in any way. His effective field goal percentage, his true shooting percentage, they're right there. His PR is actually slightly higher than Evan Mobley. For all of my Mobley love, for anybody who hasn't seen Scotty Barnes and who hasn't seen Evan Mobley, you're doing yourself a disservice. They're two rookies who look far beyond where they were said to be in terms of their development. Evan Mobley was supposed to just be a defensive player who could contribute a little bit as far as finding guys and being able to pass. Everybody said that he had unicorn-like skills, but was extremely raw. He's 15-8 and eight every game. And Scotty Barnes was supposed to be a sixth-man project from Florida State who was elite in terms of his measurables and hustle and defensive effort. And he's been one of the best offensive rookies we've seen this season, certainly in terms of efficiency and sheer volume. He's outdoing guys who are taken at the top of the draft. He's outdoing Suggs. He's outdoing Jalen Green. He's outdoing Cade Cunningham. And all to very little acclaim, in my opinion. I don't think he's getting nearly the amount of press that he needs to be getting. So that's Broken Jumper for this week. I'll be back next week with another episode. Please, 
if you haven't listened and subscribed and rated and did all that stuff, just go to wherever you listen to podcasts and uh, throw us a review of some sort. Throw us, meaning me. I'm one person. I don't know why I act like this is an entity. It's just some jerk off at a microphone talking to himself. So thank you for listening. I am Bob Schmidt, the voice of AM570 LA Sports. This is Broken Jumper. That's it. No more Broken Jumper. No. No. Download past episodes you missed and like and subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. Go to the iHeartRadio app. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Broken Jumper. And tune in weekly for more NBA coverage.